Today, we begin in earnest our study through the book of Colossians. Uh, one person told me that I couldn't have anything happen to me until I finished the study of Colossians. So I don't know if that's a nice thing or a threat. I don't know. But we're going to be studying verse by verse through the letter to Colossae, also known as the book of Colossians to us. And the, the overriding theme of this study will be Christ's supremacy and our sufficiency in him for what God desires for us to be. And so we're going to have a, a really good time. This is a great book. You're going to know Jesus better if you're consistent and faithful to the study than I believe you may know him now. So let's go ahead and crack that book. Today's study verses are chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. It's always a great place to start. Chapter 1, verse 1. So here we go. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So let me introduce you to a young man named Timothy. Now there's uh, letters in the Bible, or books in the Bible, by his name. But Timothy is an interesting young man. Let me say this. The Bible says that we should not look down upon people because of their youth. We must be very careful not to assume that young people as far as age-wise, can't be spiritual people and cannot be spiritually deep in, in their faith. I remember having a discussion at my previous church, and uh, a young man had been put up to be considered for deaconship, and this young man is a godly man. I mean, he's top shelf. He was then, and he is now. And I remember having a discussion with the leadership team, and they were concerned about his age. And I said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, Scripture does warn us about laying hands on too quickly, right, right? But we cannot use age as a sole stringent litmus test. And Timothy is one of the reasons why. Let's, let's get to know Timothy a little bit. Timothy was the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother, and he joined Paul's ministry during, uh, and he joined Paul during his later missionary journeys. Paul's did three missionary journeys, and Timothy went to work alongside of him in the, the two, the second and the third uh, missionary journey. And here's why. He heard and responded to the gospel when Paul came through the area of Darby and Lystra on his first missionary uh, journey. Timothy serves as Paul's representatives of several of the churches and was later a pastor in Ephesus. He got to be that guy in Ephesus. And so I wanted to show you this to give you an idea of where Timothy's from and to give you kind of a map of Paul's first missionary journey. So remember, anytime we look at a map of uh, the Holy Land, we always orientate ourselves by finding what? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And there it is. And so if you look, there's Antioch, and that's where Paul's missionary journey began. And he went to Cyprus, then over into modern-day Turkey. And right there is Lystra and Darby. And that's where Timothy was when he heard the gospel, when he received the gospel, and when he responded to the gospel. Just because you hear it doesn't mean you receive it. And just because you receive it doesn't mean you respond to it. It's not, a, it's not an all-in-one. Paul addresses Timothy as my true son in the faith. He was probably no older than his late teens or early 20s when he joined Paul, but he had already set himself apart uh, to the, the leaders of the church for his faithfulness, his 
uh, his, his spiritual maturity, his uh, work. He had already kind of set himself apart even at this early stage in life. Timothy is mentioned as being with Paul when he wrote several of the New Testament letters, 2 Corinthians, Philipp, uh, Philippians, our study, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, and Philemon. So Timothy was with Paul during the authorship of these letters. So Timothy had a significant ministry with Paul, to Paul, and as an extension of Paul and his own ministry. He goes on, Paul says, to the saints, the faithful brothers and the sisters in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So, I love this quote. Uh, Dave Willis says this, Be an encourager because the world already has plenty of critics. Amen? Isn't that the truth? Have you ever known someone that was an encourager? Ronnie, you remember Bob... When we went to the hospital, we had a brother here years ago. His name was Bob, and he was in the hospital. He was sick, and in fact, he was, he was very sick. And so the deacons and myself, we went up to pray for him, to encourage him in the Lord. We go up to the hospital, and we pray for him, and he reaches over to a side table, gets out of his Bible, and what? We had church, didn't we? We left feeling better than we did walking in. And the guy who gave us that was the guy in the hospital. Are you an encourager? Are you someone? Now, I'm not talking about being the fake it till you make it kind of person. How, how's life? It's good. It's good. Can I just, listen, the world can smell that. They can smell it. They, and, and a lot of the world's looking for it. Because you know what it is, is if, if your world's not good, and all you say is, it's good. It's good. You know what that's called? Hypocrisy. And the world loves to smell it on, especially Christians. But to be an encourager, and so we look at Paul, and in the writing of this letter, he's in jail. He's unjustly incarcerated in a Roman jail. And let me just say this, the Roman jail, you didn't get three hots in a cot. You didn't get cable. You didn't have a phone in your pod. This was tough living. And Paul would have had every right to be miserable and to make people miserable, but he didn't. Paul chose in the midst of his own struggle, what? To celebrate the people in Colossae. Why would he do that? Bob, in the midst of his own trials, tribulations, and uncertainties, had every right to be miserable and to make us miserable. He could have hit me with questions. I mean, it just, anyway, but he chose not to. In the midst of his trials and tribulations, he chose to celebrate the Lord with the people of the Lord. Well, let me give you two reasons. I shared this with the group on Wednesday nights. It's because Paul had the same call and Paul had the same cause. Amen? Now, you don't say amen because you don't know what those two are unless you were here Wednesday night. Don't say amen to what you don't know. I might be about to put something up there, and I already got a verbal contract out of you. Took a picture with the mascot armadillo of the Texas Roadhouse the other night because I wanted a picture because he looked cute. And I was going to put it on social media so I'd look cute. And, while I, and just before I was walking away from him, I leaned over and I said, 10% is all I expect of any proceeds made from the 
the publisher of this photograph. I said, that's a verbal contract. It's binding in Texas because I got to get mine. First Corinthians 12 says this, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so is it, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Paul's saying we're all what? On the same team. Now, we may practice in other places, we may live in other places, but by faith through grace and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what? We are one. And here's the call, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness. But what if I don't feel like it? You will be my witness. But what if I'm in jail? You will be my witness. What if I'm being pulled over by DPS? You will be my witness. As you are going, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the farthermost parts of the earth. If you claim the name of Jesus and you are baptized by the Holy Spirit, you will be my witness. Yes. That's what they call a command, not a suggestion. That's what a speeding ticket is. That's a command to what? See the judge. Can you imagine they pull you over and they go, hey, listen, you were only doing 120. And we really would like for you to, uh, you know, go by and see the judge. And you'd go, yeah, I'm on that. Mm -mm. A command and a request to do different things. So here's the call. Paul received the same call. You've received the same call. And here's the cause. Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And remember, Paul, I am with you always to the end of the age. How could Paul desire to be an encourager and a celebrator of the church at Colossae? Because they had the same call and they have the same cause. And church, so do we. When you drive out of this place today, I want you to look across the street at our friends the Lutherans. And I want you to see the lumber going up where their fellowship hall used to be. And I want you to celebrate for them. That storm that tore Highland Terrace's roof off is the same storm that tore their fellowship hall down. And you know what? I'm excited for them. I was talking with one of their ladies Friday morning. And she said, we had fellowship on Sunday. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like us. She goes, we had to put a table in the pastor's office and we had to do this and that. Why? Because they don't have any room. They don't have a chapel like we have. They don't have a fellowship hall like we have. Why? Because life took it. But now it's being built. And I celebrate for them because it's awesome. Because the same God who provides and guides for us, guess what? Dun, 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 dun. The phrase Paul's use, that Paul uses saints doesn't infer to perfection. Hey, I'm a saint. I knew you were going to laugh, Ronnie. And you know what? You're a saint. It's not because you're perfect, because we're not. 
It's a reference to their genuine faith in Christ and their faithfulness to Christ. It's, it's, it's for Christ and to Christ that this delineates. Here's a question. Can you believe in Christ without being faithful to him? Oh, you guys weren't so quick to vote there, were you? James says this, you believe that there is one God, that's fine. Even the demons believe and tremble with fear. Just because you believe doesn't mean you follow. Just because you believe doesn't mean you're faithful. I tell you what, there's a lot of people today who believe. They use the celebration of Jesus' birthday for a whole lot of things. But not following Jesus. And then they use the celebration of Jesus' resurrection for a whole lot of things, like eating a lot of ham. Mmm, ham. But not to follow Jesus. Listen, the saints are those who believe and follow. The demons believe and they tremble. Paul tells them three things I think of you. Isn't it nice to be thought of? In a busy world. And there's a lot of things that can cause us to think of a lot of people. The other night I had the privilege of being at the Greenville Independent School Board meeting and I left there and as is my custom, I called my bride to see if she needed anything before I left town. And as I was driving, I thought to myself, this would be the perfect time for me to call Bob. I'm sorry, buddy. I had Bob on the brain, buddy. And we could have about 15, 20, 25 minutes of yak yak. This would be that perfect time. But I don't get to have that time. But he says, I think of you. And he says, and I'm thankful for you. So when I was a very young man, Brother Ken Johannan taught me something that I've taught Josh and I've instructed Chuck. I don't know if I've taught him yet. And Jared, I told you. And I know I've not instructed Jared yet. I mean... He said, he said, Jimmy, he says, listen, he says, over, the, over your life, he says, from time to time, people may write you a card or a note encouraging you. He says, take that. And he says, you need to make yourself a blue file. A blue file. And I immediately think of a folder. It's blue. He says, no. He says, you want to put those in there because there'll be days when you're blue. And you're downhearted and you're discouraged. And you can go back. And you can read those. And I can't tell you what I would give for that advice. Because I have a blue file. And right now, if you go to my study and you sit down, you assume all the responsibilities that that throne affords you. (laughs) And you look at my monitor and just to the left... There's a stack, I don't know, there's probably 8, 10, 12 there right now. Because you see, I, I have my blue file there until they go into the, the master file. Because that file's so large, I can't. But there's, because I'm going to tell you what, when people are thankful for you and they communicate that, don't take that lightly. Let me also say this, if that's the way you feel about someone, you need to tell them. Paul not only mentions this in his introduction, but he will say it five additional times in the course of this letter.
You know why? It's not that Paul stutters. It's because he means it. He repeats it because it's important. Paul says, I am thankful for you. And in this world today, a little thanks goes a long, long way. You show a little gratitude and a little thankfulness to your server, they'll move heaven and earth for you. It's an amazing thing. And he says, and I pray for you. Now, we could pray for a lot of things, right? But Paul says, I pray for grace and for peace. That God's grace would be sufficient for you and that his peace would overwhelm you. Those two things, those are the two feet that will allow you to walk through anything this life throws at you. There's a lot of things we can pray for, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, but we should always pray for the grace and the peace of God to be upon and in the people that we're praying for and upon ourselves. Paul goes on in verse 4, Since we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, say all, all, that means the ones that you don't necessarily like. That means the ones that you don't necessarily understand. That means the ones that aren't necessarily just like you. All the saints. Your faith and love have arisen from the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you have heard about in the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Paul celebrates their faith in a person, a Christ-centered faith. Because at this time, one of the things he's educating against is this, is the Gentiles wanted Jesus to be an add-on. Oh, we've got all these gods. We'll just put another one on. Come with me to India. I, I can't remember how many thousands of gods there are in the Hindu spectrum. I can't remember. It's a lot. And they go, oh, Jesus? Okay. We'll just tack him on. That's not the way it works. And then the Jews, they go, oh, okay, well, Jesus is sufficient, but we'll just add a little on. You got to keep the law and get circumcised, those kind of things. Brothers and sisters, Paul is celebrating their faith in a person, and his name's Jesus. And we look at the Gentiles and we go, oh, you Gentiles. And we look at the Jews and we go, oh, you Jews. But if we're not careful, We'll add stuff on too. Well, you know what? If you're not in church at 11 o'clock on Sunday, you're just not a saint. Says who? If you're wearing shorts on a Sunday morning, you're not a saint. Says who? <clears throat> if you have tattoos, says who? If your Bible is not a black leather, gold leather, King James... You're not a saint. Says who? When we look at what they used to do, be careful because, you know, we do it too. If we're not careful, we do it too. And we go, well, we're just, and we just start filling in the excuses. Listen, don't, listen, don't try to help Jesus out. He's got you. kind of worked up over that one. Paul celebrates the evidence of their faith through their love for fellow believers. Can the world see love among the saints today? Whew. No one even said amen to that. You're only as good as your data. George Barna, the Barna Group, is the paramount source for information, especially as it pertains to church, 
the world and in the church world's interaction. So let's look at a couple things here real quick. Only 21% of non-Christian people have a positive perception of the local church. One in five have a positive, just a positive, not that it's right, not that it's valuable, but just a positive perception. <laughs> and it's not because the, the building looks weird. Their perception comes from what? The people. Only one in five have a positive perception of the local church. They drive by a church and four out of five of them go, meh. Half of non-Christian Americans do not trust the local pastor. So you see what I get to paddle against? You're only dealing one in five. I'm dealing with half of them. The other day I was at the plasma center bleeding for money. And this young lady and I were talking and we know each other because I bleed a lot. And she started telling me her story and she got around. And she goes, oh, so what is it that you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she goes, well, that makes sense. I'm just going to let you figure out what that meant. Millennials think that the local church is detached from the real issues people are facing. Those Christians, all they do is huddle up and talk about everybody and celebrate how great they and perfect they think they are. Mm, mm. The cure for the problem is to embrace more of what uh, we are supposed to be authentically. And that's one of the reasons for the city is such a great thing that you need to be a part of. Because the city gets to see the church leave its building and meet them at a point of need. <clears throat> for what reason? Just so we can love you. We don't send bills. We don't send visitation teams to come knocking on your door six weeks after we're gone. We don't do any of that stuff. We're out there, what, meeting real people in real needs at real time. And while we're doing it, we're just trying to be real Christians. That's why for the city is so important. Can I say this? That's why for the city is making a difference. Because these people get to see the church at their front lawn and on their dilapidated roof. And picking up garbage in their streets. Oh, wait a minute. I thought all you guys did was huddle up up on the hill on Sunday mornings. To be loving, compassionate, kind, gracious, embracing, genuine, living out an ethic of love is a great place to start. Amen? <clears throat> not fake love. No, I'm going to love you because I got an angle. Even not, I'm going to love you because God says I have to. <clears throat> have you ever ate a meal and you hated every bite how do you like that liver and onions oh I love it <laughs> hypocrisy can be smelt a mile away <clears throat> fortunately for Christians the opposite of what most people expect is pretty much what Jesus embodied Jesus was so counter cultural man if you just love people where they are I'm always looking for a fist fight. Man, you, you'd be surprised what you can get done. John tells us this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. What? If. I just want you to think about that for a second while I grab a sip of this delicious coffee. Thank you, hostess team. 
know what that word if means? It means you get a choice. They will know we are his disciples if we love one another. The world doesn't want to hear you say you love them when you hate your brother. The world doesn't want to hear you love them if you hate your sister. They don't want to hear it from you if all you do is badmouth other churches. They don't want to hear it. That's bottom shelf right there. I could stop right there, but I won't. Let's go real quick. Just as the entire world is, uh, just as in the entire world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. So it has also been bearing fruit and growing among you from the first day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. The gospel wasn't native to Colossae. Guess what? The gospel isn't native to Greenville, Texas either. It arrived in the hearts and on the lips and through the actions of Epaphras and other believers. Greenville will see and hear the gospel through us. It's not native. Listen, there may have been a day in the United States, but it's not today. We are a foreign people in a foreign world, and the way we used to think has to change. We would build buildings and we'd say, if you don't want to go to hell, you better get here as quick as you can. The world says, ah, never mind. <clears throat> it is time that we realize that the gospel is a mandate of living and loving out there. And if the world is going to see the gospel, they must see it in us first. <coughs> Pardon me. I love what Isaiah says. It is the same with my word. I sent it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. God's promise is this, is if you, if you deliver the gospel, it'll bear fruit. It never returns void. Sometimes it's hard for us to receive that. Sometimes it's hard for us to even believe that. Because let me just tell you this, there's some hard-hearted people in this world. <laughs> But you see, God calls us to be faithful in the delivery. Why? Because he's faithful in the productivity. In Colossae, the ears, some of them heard the gospel and it sounded like condemnation and they reject it. Well, why would I want to be a Christian? I, I, I like to have fun. I don't know about you, but I have fun. I, I, I don't want to be a Christian because all it is is a bunch of do's and don'ts. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't, I don't want to be a Christian because they're all hypocrites. Well, at times, not everyone who hears the gospel hears it as redemption. They hear it as condemnation. And the Bible says Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already condemned. The day I met Jesus on that front step, I didn't need to be condemned because I knew. I knew I was a sinner. I was, I was condemned of my own opinion of myself. I didn't need God to tell me that. However, but others, it's a sweet sound of liberation. It becomes music to their soul. Oh, man. Huh? I once was blind, but now I see. And the song of the redeemed, it just gets sweeter by the year. Amen? It just gets better. How long have you been a Christian? Not long enough. I've been walking with the Lord over 35 years, and that's not long enough. 
If I'd only known then what I know now, I'd have started earlier. It's like my bride. How long have you been married to her? Not long enough. Now, you know, she was only 18 when we married, so, you know, there was a floor. You know, that's enough about that. Verse 7, you learn the gospel from Epaphras, our dear uh, fellow slave of faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your spirit of love. Oh, we got to hurry. Romans 5, 5 says this, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I need to give you a hazardous cuteness warning. I need you to get your best oh ready because I'm about to drop it on you. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? That does look like Piper, though, doesn't it? Do you know why I picked this picture? One, because that kid is stinking cute. But to illustrate even more of this, God's Holy Spirit pours into us. And you know what he wants us to do with it? Pour it into others. He doesn't pour it into you so that you can store it up. He doesn't pour it into you just so you can use it up. He pours it into you that you can enjoy it and pour it into others. Man, it is a joy to pour Jesus into other people. Whether they want it or not, whether they recognize it or not, whether they, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's the, the joy is in the pouring. Ooh, Jeff's not here. T-shirt worthy. The joy is in the pouring. Can you imagine the conversations you could get off that going to lunch at the right place? Anywho, for this reason, we also, from the day we heard about you, have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul declares that the passion and the purpose of their prayer for them is, is two things. One, to be filled with the knowledge of his will, that, you would, that God would tell you what he hopes and desires for you. You need the instructions. We men don't do instruction manuals very well. Do you do instruction manuals? Kind of? Man, this is kind of thick. Don't need it. Right? Oh, okay. So you just told on yourself. I mean, he opens it up and he goes, oh, this is a single page printed on one side. Don't need it. Huh? Oh, do you? Okay. Unread material. He's saving it in case he needs fire kindling. But he says, we pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. What does God want you to do? What does God want you to know? Secondly, to receive his wisdom. What? You can have information, but unless you discern how to use it, guess what? I can pull up a video on how to overhaul an engine. And I can watch that video, and guess what? Da-da-da-da, I have information. But do I have discernment? No. I can tear it apart. It's the getting things back together that's problematic. 
And it's so beautiful here. And I'm going to get just a little bit in the woods, but it's okay. He says, to experience understanding. So if you go, so if you go to Strong's translation of this word from its original uh, Greek context, and it's G4907. And the word picture that we get here is two rivers coming together to form one. God, Paul is praying, I want you to have the wisdom, I want you to have the information, and I want you to have the discernment, the understanding, and let it come together in your life. Two rivers coming together in unison, becoming one. My brothers and sisters, as we begin to discern God's will for ourselves and we be able to discern how to do that and why to do that, my friends, those things merge into our lives and the blessings flow like a river through us. It's such a beautiful thing that Paul is saying here. I want God's compassion and passion and wisdom and understanding to flow through you like a river to flow through you like a river that you can in, that you would reap the benefits of it and share it with the world. Verse 10, so that you may live worthy of the Lord and pleasing him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed, growing in knowledge of God. Living worthy means to have a conviction and an appreciation. I'm going to tell you what, an attitude of gratitude will change everything in your life. And that goes for your spiritual life too. Living worthy produces multiple blessings. It glorifies the Lord. You are sanctified. You are being transformed into the image of the Son. You are becoming more and more what God created you to be instead of what the world created you to be. And while that is going on in your own life, you're encouraging others to consider the gospel, to receive the gospel, to grow in the gospel, to walk in the gospel. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power, what? According to his glorious might. Let me ask you this. Do you want the best the world has to offer or God's glorious might? Do you want the best that you can produce or God's glorious might? Which one do you want? I can tell you this. I've had both of the others. God's never fails. For the display of all the patience and steadfast. And joyfully giving thanks, what? To the Father who has qualified you. We give thanks, why? Because God qualified us for heaven, amen? amen. God qualified us. Jimmy, bankrupt, God qualified me. 35 years, I'm still unqualified for heaven apart from Jesus. Giving thanks, what? To the Father who qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He delivered us from what? Boy, if you don't remember where you got delivered from, you might not be delivered. Amen? Amen. If you don't remember where you got delivered from, you need to go back and visit that cesspool. I remember it real clear. And I beg God not to let me forget. I beg God not to let my memories grow foggy because I'm telling you what, those 22 years ahead of Jesus, mm-mm, mm-mm. 
God delivered me from them. For the power of darkness and transferred us, what? From the darkness to the kingdom. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my. The other day, we went to see a movie. My wife, my son, and and one of our friends went to see a movie. And we were the only four in there. It was like we were rich. How many seats you want? I want them all. (laughs) And we're watching. It's one of those films where they put something later on in the credits, so we're waiting because we're those nerds. And someone who works for the theater goes, no, your time's up, comes in and flips on the lights, the big white lights, the cleaning lights. Needless to say, the mood just goes, and I'm going to confess to you, I'm not bragging, I'm just confessing. I immediately went back to, well, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Two o'clock at the bar. They flip on them lights, and it is ugly inside. (laughs) Listen, if you don't know, don't go. But if you know, you know. Boy, it was all mystery and party, and and they flip on them lights. (laughs) That 10 you were talking to just became a 2. I digress. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, what? What is redemption? The forgiveness of our sins, not the forgetting of our sins, not the excusing away of our sins, not the, well, just do better and sin less. No, I've been forgiven. For which ones? All of them. The ones I remember and the ones I do not remember. As a child of God, we have so much to be thankful for knowing that God initiated the possibility of a relationship. Listen, when the world says, well, how can, I, how can I believe that God loves me? It's called the cross. How can you tell me that God loves me? It's called the cross. Why should I believe that God loves me? It's called the cross. But God demonstrated his own love for us. In this. That Jimmy cleaned up enough. that Jimmy made enough amends, that Jimmy tithed enough, that Jimmy reads the translation of the Bible. Jimmy's a part of the right denomination. None of that mattered. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. And that phrase right there accurately translated says this, enemies. My friends, I wasn't a passive enemy of God. When I met Jesus, I was an intentional enemy of God. Christ died for us. Christ died for you. Christ died for all of them. Now they can... They can see what they want to see. They can judge what they want to judge. They can believe what they want to believe. But they still have to deal with this. Some will see it as a condemnation. Well, well, who am I that I need someone to die for me? I'm a good person. Well, you're you're missing it. Or, or, 
you realize, yeah. Everything that my hands have produced isn't enough. There's eternity in my heart that says there's something more than this. And I need a savior. That's, that's the way it works. And uh, the world, like I said, can say a lot of things, can believe a lot of things. Some of it's justifiable when they're speaking about me. I'm a sinner. At times I'm a hypocrite. Some days I'm a hero and other days I'm a coward. I have regrets. There's things I wish I would have done differently that I try to do better. I haven't always done what God wanted me to do. Yeah. If the world wants to hold me in account, fair game. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just to give us the opportunity to say, no, thank you, Jesus. Don't need you. But thank God on a January morning, I was smarter than that. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I just pray today that as Paul encouraged the saints at Colossae because of their faithfulness in a man, Jesus, Lord, that that might be said about me. And that might be said about us here at the little ALF. And as Paul talked about their love for the saints, Father, let that be said of me. And let that be said of us. Father, if you tarry your return and this generation of authentic life comes to you through the doorway of death, Lord, may it be said of us as it has been said about the believers of Colossae. Now as we read 2,000 years later, let it be said of us. Lord, not because we're better, just that we've been called to be different. Father, let the world know that we are your disciples by our love for you, our love for one another, and our love for them. Father, true love comes with a great price. All we have to do is to look to Calvary to see that truth. Father, we thank you that while we were yet enemies of you, Christ died for us to give us the opportunity to see him as condemnation or to see him as liberation. Father, I pray that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice, both here in the worship center, Father, through the digital doorway, or Father, somewhere in the far off reaches part of our world that may hear this message on the podcast. 
that does not know your son is Savior. Father, I pray that they will hear these words as words of liberation and that they will come to Jesus while he still may be found. Father, that they might come to Jesus and experience what only he can afford them. Father, that they will come to Jesus and have a life that means something. That they might come to Jesus and have heaven too. Father, we love you and we thank you for the saints of Colossae and this incredible testimony that was shared with a man who never met them, never walked alongside of them, never broke bread with them. But Father, the reputation of their character preceded them. God, let that be said of us. For your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So your homework for this week is to read Colossians chapter 1 again.